Mission Control, we are go for spitballing. Three, two, one, here we go. Welcome to the Spitballing with Ecom Elite Podcast. Spending time dropping knowledge from luxury locations all around the world. It's seven-figure entrepreneurs, Todd Snively and Chris Keefe. With the inside scoop on how to really obtain freedom through e-commerce. Get ready to learn how to make money online with your host, Todd and Chris. So, let's get started. Hey everybody, it's Todd, and what did you think of that intro? That's the first one that we used. We wanted a a nice female intro for our podcast, and uh, and there it was. So we'll go back and forth. You guys let us know what you think, what you prefer. Now, we're going to jump back to a few uh, previous podcasts where I had been talking a little bit more about my backstory, some uh, businesses I had been involved in, what I learned from them. And what it is that I think we all want to take away to get to a successful position with a business. And back a few podcasts, we were talking about the fact that I had gotten into the 900 number business and subsequently had developed a training program on that and was doing both uh, simultaneously while still running my real estate business. Well, at one point, it just, you know, I was just having way too much fun <laughs> with uh, the marketing aspect of the 900 number business. And so I decided to uh, sell my real estate investments. And at the time, I was in a uh, the Greater Detroit Area Real Estate Investors Association, had actually been asked to speak there a few times on various uh, techniques and, and just my, my journey of uh, having bought all these homes uh, over a relatively short period of time with little to no money down. So one day I got up there and I said, look, I have 97 single family homes and three apartment buildings and I'm going to sell all of them tonight, no matter what it takes. And the room obviously got pretty excited and what happened was by the end of the night we had sold off uh, everything basically in three parcels, almost even. So three different people in that room ended up buying all of those homes and those apartment buildings from me. This gave me all of the time now that I needed to really blow out this new 900 number business in the marketing of the training program that went along with it. Now, we had decided, and by we I mean uh, my wife Patty and I, that uh, we no longer wanted to um, you know, stay in Michigan at that time. This probably would have been around 1990. We had had a, a key employee embezzle roughly $50,000, a little more than that, from us. And, and we learned a lot from that. Uh, basically, uh, take people off as signers on your checking account when you fire them. <laughs> we literally, this was, this was uh, oh, what a lesson. You know, uh, this guy, we had made a bad deal with him uh, in the first place. And he just continued to take advantage, and finally I'd have had enough. And I told him, that's it. We're done. No more. And there's probably a whole six podcasts in, <laughs> in, that, in that learning uh, story, if you will, right there. But I'm going to spare you guys. Just suffice it to say that uh, I finally reached my boiling point and said no more to this guy. Well, as soon as we did that, Patty and I got on a plane to, to Mexico 
think it was Acapulco. And halfway to Acapulco, I turned to her and I said, did, did we ever remove him from our checking account as a signer? And she goes, I'm not sure. She, uh, when we get back, we'll, we'll double check. Well, you know, we were gone seven or ten days, totally forgot. I'm back, and uh, all of a sudden, I'm getting these notices that checks are bouncing. And so I call the bank, and I say, there's no way checks are bouncing. There's like 50 grand in that account. And uh, they go, well, let's look at what happened. And basically, this scumbag, after I fired him, walked into the closest bank, asked for uh, counter checks, and wrote these counter checks out to cover the in pretty much the entire balance in the account. And because he was a signer on that account, there was nothing anybody could do to stop him. He just took the money and, and left. And so uh, when we found out, uh, obviously we took appropriate legal action because he had made a, he had made some other um, well he had made some serious mistakes with respect to what amounted to theft that had nothing to do with that embezzlement. It was what he what he did right after he embezzled. So there was some leverage, and we got uh, after all the attorney fees and everything, we probably got back about half of that money. And so it was at that time that Patty and I knew we had something in this new business and we were kind of fed up, you know, with, I don't want to say Michigan in general, but just we had, we were missing Colorado at that point. And this was like the, the last straw that this, the guy embezzling from us, we just decided, let's just go back to Colorado. So we made that decision. I had flown out to, uh, well, actually we both went out, uh, picked a place to live, and uh, I had picked out uh, some beautiful offices. And so I, we were getting really excited. And we were still doing the webinars, or I'm sorry, <laughs> seminars. Back then, when you're not on a computer, it's called a seminar. So we were still doing the live seminars uh, in various cities. And I can't remember where we were, but this, this nice little uh, young guy, you know, like college-aged, came up to us really shy and he asked me he said what why don't you guys have your own service bureau now if you remember if you listen to one of the earlier podcasts i talked about the fact that the 900 numbers were really really expensive in order to you know operate a number you had to have equipment and programming and software and technicians and all kinds of uh things that uh i was still kind of sussing out and couldn't really figure out on my own. At that point, I was happy enough working through a service bureau, paying them 15 cents a minute and some setup fees. And I told him that. I told him that. I said, well, I don't know how to set up a service bureau. And he says, well, I do. And I said, I looked at this guy. <laughs> I said, you know how to set up a service bureau? He says, sure. And I said to him, uh, well, I'll tell you what. We're opening an office in Colorado Springs. I said, if you want a job, I will give you a job. And how long do you think it will take you to set up a service bureau? And he kind of rubbed his chin and looked up at the sky and got this this look on his face that I later on became intimately familiar with. And he said, six weeks. <laughs> now, remind, re, remember, this is something I'm thinking is kind of impossible <laughs> for where I'm at right now. I don't know anything about this. And here's this kid telling me he can, he can make me a service bureau in six weeks. So I said, okay. I said, well, you understand that if it doesn't work, you're going to be employed for about six and a half weeks. <laughs> Can't pay you. You not have results. And he said, no problem. 
And I said, do you want to go to Colorado and make this happen? And he said, yes. So uh, Patty, myself, and, uh, and this gentleman went out to Colorado. And uh, as we were setting up the office, um, you know, we had a bit of a tragedy uh, in the family as Patty's mom became terminally ill with uh, pancreatic cancer. And, and Patty, just after moving out to Colorado, uh, she ended up going back to Michigan to be with her mom, you know, the entire time until she passed, which ended up being about six weeks. Um, during that six-week period, uh, we were building the office out. And uh, it was it was kind of funny because we had dinner one night in a nearby uh, hotel. It was like a Marriott or something. And we were basically sitting at the bar having drinks. And the bartender, remember, a real personable guy. And we just started uh, chatting with him. And he goes, so what do you guys do? And said, oh, we're setting up this new company, you know, out here in the building across the street there and so on and so forth. And uh, the more we talked, by the, end, by the end of his shift, we had hired him as our sales manager. <laughs> so, you know, things were moving right along. It was, uh, those are the good old days. I looked back at them and you, you, people think I have like no fear right now in making decisions. Man, you should have seen me back then. <clears throat> we just... Uh, we didn't let any grass grow under our feet, that's for sure. Well, to continue on with the story, um, we got the service bureau built. Uh, we had some proprietary programming. We had all kinds of, of neat things happen. And our own programs, um, I mean, we were racking up millions of minutes a month. And we were saving all of this money that we were paying, had been paying the service bureau. But but the better part of all of that is now we were able to give everybody their own dedicated 900 number because we were a service bureau. And we decided to go out and charge only five cents a minute for traffic. So basically, we were out there doing our seminars, getting customers who wanted to run the 900 numbers. We were training them, giving them access to our equipment for a nickel a minute. Yeah, which was the best deal in the known universe. So again, it's a perfect example of somebody doing what it is as their core business and then going out and creating an additional profit center by training others and picking up those, those nickels a minute. And, uh, and this is why I really, I, I just kind of laugh and roll my eyes when the cynics out there in, in, uh, in the online world, if you will, look at everybody that's doing any kind of training and they, they're, they're quick to just yell out scam, con man. If you are so good at what you do, why would you be selling training on how to do it? Why would you want to do that? Well, you know, I heard a great, a great um, example the other day of uh, just because Ford sells cars, does that mean they shouldn't get into the business of selling trucks? It's another profit center. Oh my gosh. Not only that, but when it's synergistic, and that's really how I look at our e-com elite community. Programming, maintaining the hardware, the servers, the personnel to make sure that all of our tools you know, have the uh, longest possible uptime and that we continue to add bells and whistles. Guess what? That costs money, right? So, you know, Chris and I, you know, when we decided to form Ecom Elite, you know, you're, you're faced with that decision. 
Do we just keep all of the tools and software to ourselves at the level that we can afford to program them at right now? Or or do we pay out the big money to make them as good as we want and, and swallow that ourselves? Or do we go and train people how to use these tools, right? Have them subsidize it with a membership fee, an ongoing fee, a continuity program. And then that way, everybody can have the benefit of a better set of software tools. But yet, you know, the casual observer that knows everything yet does nothing will look at that and yell fraud. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of people out there, you know, doing the guru thing wrong. And Chris and I, we always cringe (laughs) at that term guru. Absolutely hate it. We prefer mentors. You know, we're true. um, We try to be true business partners in a lot of ways with our membership because, you know, we have, um, you know, we look at that great responsibility and the amount of trust that people put in us, and we don't want to let anybody down. And that's why when the occasional person that comes around and says, yeah, you know, your program sucks. And, um, you know, I spent a few minutes going through your materials and, you know, I tried to call some uh, manufacturers or distributors or whatever you call them. And, you know, and I, I just couldn't find any products. So like, you know, your, your program, you know, it's just a, it's just a ripoff. That really hurts us. <laughs> now we, the only way we get through that, right, is understanding that one to two percent of the people we're going to run across in this business are just not reasonable. And so, I learned that lesson back. Boy, you want to you want to really learn that lesson? Do live presentations. <laughs> Do them in Boston, <laughs> okay? <laughs> New York City, right? You're going to find out what people think. I mean, it, it was actually it was an unbelievable experience. But in any event, I, I uh, digress a little bit. Not that I've ever done that before. But the 900 number business was very, very good uh, to me and my family. We we never ran anything um, illegitimate. And by that, I mean the sex lines, uh, dating lines. We never did anything like that. Everything we did was information. We, we looked at it as a billing system for information so people would uh, be paying for the information they got on the call, and if we ended up sending them a product, you know that product was absolutely free, no matter no matter what it was. We did a lot of charity programs. We got to meet some really neat people, and I'm not going to name drop too hard here, but just some really cool people. It was a lot of fun. Then all of you know, and, and by the way, who were we? We were with um, MCI back then. I don't even know if those guys are still around, but back then it was MCI was the long distance carrier that we had all of our traffic with. And uh, AT&T was in the business, so was Sprint. And those AT&T guys, they were like, every month they were in our offices wanting to meet, wanting to get our traffic. They knew we had millions of minutes a month coming across our equipment, and they wanted that traffic. Now, back then, uh, 800 numbers was just were just starting to become really, really well-known, and 900 numbers, not so much, right? And... It turns out one of the, you know, one of my better decisions turned out to be one of my worst decisions, and that was moving to Colorado Springs to set up our office. We loved being there. I would go back there in a, in a minute. We go back and visit as much as we can. But the MCI office in Colorado Springs, the manager there was the one in charge of our account. And it turns out he didn't make as much money uh, commission-wise on the 900 number product as they did on 800 numbers. So... As our business grew 
and the demands on his office increased, and his compensation, I guess, wasn't going up as much as he liked, he became a bit of an enemy. (laughs) And I really didn't get that back then. I was like, dude, this is your job. Do your job, right? You know, we're not going anywhere. You might as well get used to it. Hire some people if you have to. I was very demanding. And, And this is another lesson that I learned is that sometimes people can put you in their place, put you in your place, I should say. And this guy looked for the opportunity to put me in my place. And it came uh, when we had uh, really intensive growth. At some point, we had, I want to say, 3,600 people running 900-number programs. Now, every one of these programs had an authorization uh, process. You know, And unfortunately, not every one of our 3,600 clients were ethical. So somebody would say, Here's my program. I'm going to do a date line or an inspir I'm not a date line, I'm sorry, a prayer line or you know, an inspirational, motivational quote of the day line. And the next thing you know, they're telling people where to buy crack at certain times of the day, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And uh, we couldn't police it. There were too many programs running. And all it took was for MCI to find one or two examples of people running a program that was different than what they had submitted for approval. And I opened my mail one day, and it said, here's your 30-day cancellation notice. And MCI telling me all 3,600 of your programs are going to be shut down in 30 days. Hmm. I remember reading that, and my initial thought was, oh, yeah, that's not going to happen. So, you know, you pick up the phone and you call that guy and... There's a lot of yelling and screaming, but on, on, that was mostly me. On, on his end of the phone was just a lot of laughing and chuckling and telling me to <laughs> pound sand. I couldn't believe it. And and when I got a hold of his superiors, like in Denver at MCI, they're all like, he runs his office, he can do whatever he can do whatever he want. Nobody was on my side. Nobody, except I thought maybe AT and T. So I decided I was going to pick up the phone. Uh, to these AT&T guys who have been chasing my business now for years and tell them it was uh, their lucky day because I was considering leaving MCI, right? <laughs> considering. Ah, yeah. I sure didn't want them to know I only had 30 days. So basically was able to put a deal with them very quickly, put a deal together. I actually got some enhancements over the old MCI deal some extra money, some faster uh, payouts, things like that. Because I had to convince everybody that was with me through MCI that we were going to switch to AT&T, and that meant new, different numbers. They didn't have this portability thing back then in the early 90s. So I was able to do that. AT&T committed to getting the service up and running within, um, within the 30 days. And when the magic switchover day came, not a single number was working. At that point, that was one of the most trying days of my life. And I'm going to continue with that in a future podcast. Stay tuned. Thank you.